Welcome to the Smart Connector, the podcast that helps entrepreneurs be the leader their ideal people love. Build your influence, wealth and success, attract others for all the right reasons and become a Smart Connector, the architect of your amazing business and life. Hello everybody, it's Thursday night. We're live on the Smart Connector group and I've got a very, very special guest for you tonight. She's a brand strategist, a speaker, and an author of the most amazing book called The Empathy Edge. So um, welcome, welcome. It's so great to have you here, Maria. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. So Maria, we're going to have a really interesting conversation tonight (laughs) because empathy is just such a fascinating topic and obviously it's something that you're completely passionate about Mm -hmm. and you've written a book about it. So I've got loads of questions, but before we get into it, I just wanted to say to anybody that's watching, Maria is here, she can answer your questions, so if you have any questions about empathy then just fire them into the chat and Maria will answer them. I mean hopefully there won't be too many because we want to have a good chat as well but (laughs) we're here here to to serve you. Mm -hmm. So Maria let's let's just start by I just want to kind of ask you what made you choose empathy as your as your topic? What made you get so passionate about it? Well, that is an interesting question because as you mentioned, I am a brand strategist and people have asked me, why did a brand strategist write a book about empathy? (laughs) And it was a variety of factors, to be honest. Um, Back in the fall of 2016, um, we had a presidential election here in the United States. And Mm -hmm. at the time, my son was two and a half years old and I was just mortified by the behaviors from leadership that I was seeing and what was getting normalized, the hate, the racism, the misogyny that was getting normalized. Well, at the same time, I'm reading books to my child about words are not for hurting. And it just didn't sit well with me about, well, what, what's the point, right? If they're going to grow up and enter this world where this is going to be acceptable. And I was having the same conversation with a lot of clients, with a lot of colleagues, other entrepreneurs, and sort of wringing of our hands, right? What do we what do we do? What can we do? Do we have to run for office? Do we need to join the Peace Corps? And you know, so many of us were consultants, we're coaches, uh, real estate developers, attorneys, um, software executives, and and people were wondering what they could do with their own platform to impact change. And so I embarked on this journey, um, guided by some other signs from the universe that I should be talking about empathy to explore empathy as a competitive advantage to Mm -hmm. business. And I thought if we could can impact empathy in the place where we spend the bulk of our time, which is at work or with customers or with clients, that's more practical to build a better world because we can't be horrible people through our work and in our own platforms and then expect society to be more empathetic as a result. So um, yeah, I, I did the research and, you know, the research and the data is out there that empathy improves a business's bottom line. It increases word of mouth marketing. It creates customers for life. It engages employees for better retention and better talent attraction. 
The incoming talent generations are demanding empathetic cultures and workplaces to bring their talents to, or they don't want to be there. So the data and the research, as I said, were all out there. So I curated that into sort of a playbook. Um, and because I always talk about brand as starting from the inside out anyway, brand is not just your logo, not just your marketing veneer. It's how you do business, how you run your company, your reputation. Um, and so I, I wrote the book in almost three sections where I talk about individuals as strengthening their own empathy as leaders, rippling out to the culture they create and the environment in their business and what do they do to support and value employees and create a safe environment. And then now you can have a real empathetic brand in the marketplace that's believable and authentic. And you know, what does that look like? What does that customer experience and customer interaction look like? And so it's been interesting to talk about sort of all these different angles to different audiences, you know, obviously HR and leadership development and CEOs really care about the empathetic culture piece. Everyone cares about how to strengthen their own empathy as a leader or as a colleague or as a, as a coach. And then, and then, yeah, folks, you know, companies are interested at a macro level of how do you create an empathetic brand experience? Because you can't really be an empathetic brand. Your brand is just a collection of the actions of the people in your organization, mm -hmm. but how, you know, what policies and processes and habits can you put into place so that people perceive you and, and understand that you are empathetic because you are listening and valuing your customers. So that was a three-year journey of research wow. on that. And it's funny because when I started out and I was initially talking to agents a few years back, they didn't get it. They were, they were like, is this a business book or is this a self-help book? And I was like, no, it's both. It's how to augment business with empathy and be a compassionate business. And they were like, we love the writing, but we just don't know where how to position it. And now it's all anybody's talking about in leadership and business circles. So um, not that I wish that a pandemic would accelerate the conversation, but it appears that it has. Wow. That's really, really interesting. Do you think people get confused in business, Maria, because business is a competitive environment and a lot of the time uh, people will behave in, so should we say, a less than empathetic way. <laughs> so, so do you think that some people think, well, wait a minute, you know, empathy, that means that I give away my my little corner, my my competitive edge to somebody else. Um, do, do you find that you, you come up against that as a, as a way of thinking? A absolutely, absolutely. And that's the whole point of the book is to define what empathy really means in a business context and to, and to smash those myths of, of what that means because it's not what people think it means. So I spend a lot of time when I'm talking to entrepreneurial groups or sales teams of empathy is not being nice. You can be really nice and not be empathetic. It's not just caving in to someone's crazy demands. That's not empathy, that's submission. Um, and it's also not just agreeing when you don't agree. Like that's not empathy either. Empathy is a mindset and it's a way of perspective taking. It's not even, it's not even purely emotional. It's, um, there's two branches to empathy. There's, there's cognitive empathy, which is I can see things from your point of view, Jane, and, and see, what, see how you might see this 
situation from your point of view. Mm-hmm. There's also affective empathy, which sometimes goes hand in hand is once I can see your point of view, I might have an emotional reaction to that, right? I might actually feel your pain or feel your frustration. But in the business context, the good news is you don't have to, right? So you don't have to be crying with your employees in a corner and that makes you empathetic, right? So if we look at it more as a perspective taking of information gathering, I, I it's a method of, of information gathering. I then can see things from your perspective and here's where it works. I use that information to take action. Mm-hmm. I use that information to make a decision, to maybe make a hard decision that you don't want, but I'm going to communicate it in a way that speaks to your needs mm-hmm. or that values you, right? So I, I often talk about my one of my most empathetic bosses was someone who laid off the entire marketing team, wow. which is not what we wanted, but you, you, know, you can be empathetic and make tough decisions. It's how you do it. And And if you're able to see things from other people's perspectives, you can support them, you can listen to them, you can give them what they need. Maybe that might change how you do certain things because you're trying to accommodate a little bit, even when you're making a tough decision. And so that sort of gets CEOs and executives to go, okay, I get it. It doesn't mean what I thought it meant, right? So, (laughs) um, So that's always a good conversation to have and understand. And it's not even... You can't even create an empathetic culture just by hiring a bunch of really nice people. If you don't give them the environment to see things from another person's point of view and make decisions based on that information. Mm, That's so interesting. And I remember it's been quite a long time since I worked in the corporate world, but I did for a long time. Me too. I very much remember what it was like. And I very strongly remember that the culture of every company is, of course, led by the person at the top. Mm -hmm. So that kind of ripples down, doesn't it? So do you find yourself working with a lot of um, CEOs, for example? And do you find, because those kind of people tend to be very... Um, very driven and very strong characters. Do you mm-hmm. find that they are resistant to change or do you find that they're open? Not all of them. The, f- the funny thing is, again, one of these other threads that caused me to write this book is when I was running brand workshops with my clients and I do a cross-functional brand workshop. It's not just marketing. So mm-hmm. it's the CEO, the CFO, the sales team, the HR department, mm-hmm. because it has to be, again, it's not just marketing's job, right? And in the last few years before I started writing the book, this funny thing happened where the CEOs and the most like sort of logical, business-driven, left-brain people in the room were saying things like, we want our brand to be seen as empathetic. And I started paying attention to that, especially when I work with tech companies. I was like, that's interesting that you're saying that. Like, tell me more about that. And the whole point was they, that a lot of those leaders that, that get it and are successful understand that it, in the end, it's all about people and relationships. And so they, under, they were starting to understand that if we want to have a relationship with our customers, number one, that's got to start on the inside. We've got to be engaging our employees. But we need to be seen as a partner. We need to be seen as something more than just the products we sell, right? And so what's been interesting is I don't, I don't know that I've personally like bumped up against the skeptics in my talks because usually I'm being brought in by the CEO who is a little more enlightened <laughs> and gets yeah. it. But those people are so successful. They're so driven. Like 
like the the head of marketing that I told you about that had to lay off the entire marketing team. This wasn't somebody who was a pushover. This is a, a man who built and sold several companies mm. and was succeeding in the market with a different definition of success. And that's mm. what I'm finding is almost the books almost letting people reveal their true selves and letting these executives, especially males, mm. reveal their true selves and go, this is the way I want to lead. This is the way I've been trying to lead. Oh. And it's almost giving them permission that, yeah, yeah, look, Maria's got the data that I'm doing this right, right? Oh, that's, really, that's really amazing. So you're really yeah. being a change maker. You're, you're out I hope so. I'm trying to redefine. Yeah, I'm trying to redefine that definition of success that it doesn't have to be cutthroat. It doesn't have to be stab you in the back. It doesn't have to be hold everything to yourself and don't interact or connect with your customers or your employees or, you know, there's another way and and large companies like Airbnb and REI, which is a sports retailer here in the US, their Salesforce, which you know folks in the UK will be familiar with, they're proving that that model works and it and it does not mean a weak position in the market. It means market domination. Amazing, <laughs> amazing. So it's uh, so we've got some comments coming through and uh, lots of, of appreciation and support. Empathy is so important. Yay! Culture in the workplace, empathy is key. People mm -hmm. are saying so. Lots of appreciation out there already. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> Part of the empathy army. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so COVID nineteen has obviously thrown up a lot of challenges for business. Oh my um, goodness! So. Yeah. So, as you said at the beginning of the interview, that's the the whole topic of empathy must have very much been at the forefront of people's minds because he, over here, they, the employees have been furloughed and mm -hmm. businesses have really been through the mill. Mm -hmm. Created opportunities on the one hand for certain businesses, but mm -hmm. equally, it's been very tough for many. Mm -hmm. So, how how has your skill set and your passion been in demand over the last few months? Well, it's interesting because the companies that are embracing empathy are actually adapting and pivoting very well. And at a macro level, if you look at the brands that are adopting empathy, empathy for their employees, for their health and safety, empathy for their customers, health and safety, and empathy for their communities. The brands that are out there leading with empathy are going to come through this. They're the ones that are going to win. And, and there's data that shows that. There's data that shows that people are watching and listening and they want to know what you're doing beyond just selling your products and services right now, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the thing is, empathy has always been an undervalued skill in marketing your business. Mm -hmm. So marketing is built on empathy. It's built on understanding who your customers are and what they need, what they what they desire, what they fear, what they value. And mm -hmm. the companies that have been able to nimbly yeah. reset and say, okay, let's rethink. Our customer is not the same person it was six months ago or he or she was six months ago. What do they need now? And I've just seen remarkable examples from companies, both big and small. I'll give you a great example of a local wine shop here in my, where I live. I live in the San Francisco Bay Area in a, in a little town, just 10 minutes south of the city. And there's a local wine shop that is run by two women, two partners, and they, um, they rely on people coming into the shop. They had just moved into a new location, right? And they create a very curated experience. They, they hand select all the, the wines they have. And then COVID hit. 
and their business got shut down. Mm. And so very quickly, they were like, what do our customers need? Well, number one, our customers need wine right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And also just, okay, what do we need to do to adapt? So they, they quickly got an e-commerce site up on their website Mm -hmm. and it's not perfect. It's not very user-friendly. It's not beautiful. It's just functional. Right. And they got that up and they said, we will deliver to you if you're within a 25 mile radius, like the two owners jumping in their cars and delivering. And they are, they have reached so many new customers that way Mm. that they may never have reached before. And so that's just one example of the, of the idea of like taking that step back and going, where are they now? Right. So, so other companies, for example, if you look at like software companies that, that are, have big sales teams, they are rethinking their sales strategy. So, you know, what do our customers need right now? Our customers are scared. Our customers are frozen with not knowing what to do. What do they need from us right now? They need us to be really prescriptive. Mm-hmm. I mean, they need us to be like, tell us what you need, not not a hard sell. But if I can identify your problem, here's the three things I think you should be doing right now, which, which is different from maybe their sales approach in the past. Yes. Some companies who know their customers really well, that won't work for their customers. Their customers just really need to be supported and really need to know that they have options. And so maybe for those customers, it's let us know what you need. Here's some ideas. Here's some things we've packaged together based on what we're hearing from some other people. But when you need us, call us, we'll be there. And that works for their customers. And that's the beauty of knowing your customers really well, seeing things from their point of view and using that empathy to drive your sales strategy, your marketing messaging, make sure you're not tone deaf right now, right? And so I've been asked by a few clients to come in and go, can you even just help us rethink the pivot? Like maybe we're not going to redo the brand messaging right now, but we need to be saying something different to the market. We can't be saying what we were saying in January because mm-hmm. that's not where our customers are. Yeah. So that's that's been interesting. Fascinating. So <laughs> It's such it's such a great a great subject. My brain's firing off in all in all directions. <laughs> so, so empathy is experiential marketing, really. It's, it's just mm-hmm. it's a great topic. So I know that some of our listeners or viewers will be thinking, well, I'd like to be a more empathetic person. Am mm-hmm. I an empathetic person? How can I tell whether I'm empathetic? And how can I how can I tell whether other people are empathetic? So I'm wondering if you might be able to illuminate us on that on that subject. Yes, absolutely. And I, you know, in the section of the book that I have about leaders, it's really about individuals, whether you're a leader or an aspiring leader. And so that's really the personal work, the work that you have to do internally. And no, and I should add, no matter your sphere of influence. So even if you're running a company of one or you work in a company and you have just a team of five colleagues, you can be that model of success where you, you adopt empathy as your perspective and as your viewpoint. You, mm-hmm. you do your work and you excel with empathy. And then people can look at you and say, oh, I see I can be successful here acting like that. And you sort of create this, you know, you light the fire of of representation of showing that there's another way to be successful. Um, 
But yeah, that's a big piece of it. And I, I have to be honest, Jane, like that's the piece of my book I keep going back to in this whole quarantine <laughs> for myself. Yeah, reminding yeah. myself of those habits and those practices because we're all stressed right now. So mm. um, the first most important one um, to, to strengthen your empathy is to practice presence. And whatever that means to you, it doesn't mean, you know, seven days of yoga retreat. It doesn't even mean yoga or meditation. It could, but whatever grounds you into the here and now, whether it's taking a few deep breaths before an important meeting or a presentation and silencing your phone and putting your laptop away, whether it's just having a cup of morning coffee or tea with no screens and just gathering your thoughts and being present. Um, and noticing your body, just noticing like where the stress is in your body, where you're holding tension, um, that alone frees your mind from all the like, what happened yesterday and what's going to happen tomorrow and what's my laundry, you know, my laundry list of things to do so that you can be in the moment because empathy requires you to be in the moment so you can read the other person and have space yeah. in your brain to think, what is that person thinking and feeling right now? Yeah. Or, and not even thinking and feeling how are they seeing this situation? Mm. Um, so practicing presence is really important and you, you almost can't do the rest of the habits without that. Um, mm -hmm. The second one is to ask yourself if you are a curious person, because curiosity is the number one trait of empathic people. Again, if you, if you are curious about someone else, are, you know, in a conversation, are you asking more questions than you're talking about yourself? And which is, by the way, always hard for me to do in interviews because I'm being asked all the questions and I want to ask all the questions. Oh, but, I'm coming across it a very... Is that okay? Do I have a pass? Okay, great. Um, but this idea of getting curious. So instead of the defensiveness and this is my agenda, especially this is really great, especially with people that disagree with you, um, whether they disagree with you about the way a project should be run mm -hmm. or they disagree with you politically or they disagree with you about raising kids. I mean, whatever, whatever the topic it's, it's getting curious. So instead of here's why I'm right and you're wrong, why do you see things that way? What does success look like to you? How do you see that playing out? Mm -hmm. Tell me more. Can we, can we dig into that a little, little bit more? And it, that does two things. Number one, that lowers someone else's defenses because yeah. now they, they feel heard. Mm -hmm. And two, it gives you vital information so that you can then figure out, not even figure out, they're telling you their point of view, right? You don't have to guess what it is if they're, if you're letting them speak and telling them and telling you, and then you can then find common ground. You can find like, oh, okay. So I see, I want to do the project this way. You want to do the project that way. I see where you're going with that. I actually agree with you. I want the project to go that way too. Let's look at how our different ways of getting there might might, we might be able to find a compromise or find a, a better way forward together. So the, I, just the very act of getting curious about someone else mm. is if you are that person and not, you know, not interrogate them, but just <laughs> if you are that person, you're probably, you probably are very empathetic. If you're almost more interested in people than you're interested in telling them about you, mm -hmm. um, then you probably do have an empathetic bent. And I would say the third thing is once you ask the questions, actually actively listen to the answers. So active listening yeah. <laughs> is an important thing. And, and this is a hard one for me. I will be honest. You know, people say like, you must be so empathetic. I'm like, no, I'm not. That's why I wrote a book. Um, but this idea of, of 
listening, truly listening. Sometimes what I do to make myself stay present is I take notes while someone's talking, maybe mm -hmm. even in a heated conversation so that I'm not just spending the whole time thinking about what I want to say in rebuttal to them. I'm actually yeah. listening to what they say. And I could maybe even restate it. So what I hear you saying is this, this, and this. But that idea of, of getting people to further elaborate and elaborate and elaborate does so much to diffuse the, the tension, mm. but also get them talking. And I have found that to be an effective technique in my brand workshops as well. So often, well, almost always, there's some naysayer in the room that thinks branding is just a bunch of nonsense, right? <laughs> It's usually yeah. a product person or whatever. Out there for sure. <laughs> and, and, and they just come into the meeting because they want to like give marketing a piece of their mind. And I kind of let them go. I kind of like when they talk about like, well, that'll never work. Or, you know, I think that's a stupid idea. Or I'll be like, tell, tell us more about that. What do, you, what do you mean by that? Why does that? Why does that cause such a reaction for you? And you get them talking and it's like magic. You can actually see their like blood pressure coming down and you can see, and again, because empathy is all about being seen, heard and valued. And if you are an empathetic person, people in your midst will feel seen, heard and valued, whether that's coworkers, employees, um, subordinates, your managers, whoever, whoever's in that sphere of influence for you, clients, the most important ones, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, of them. Yeah. Yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm I'm really getting as well that it's a lot of it is a, is about energy, isn't it? And it's mm -hmm. you mentioned about being present, but mm -hmm. if you've got your mind on other things, or if you've as you as you pointed out, or if perhaps you've got an agenda that's going on in the back of your head mm -hmm. when you're speaking to somebody you can ask be asking those questions with your own agenda ticking ticking it you know it around mm -hmm. your brain can't you mm -hmm. absolutely um, yeah so so um so it's not just it's not just following a set of behaviors is it maria it's also very much to do with what's going on up here isn't it for sure. And that's the thing is you can't script it. You know, I'm often in the whole chapter about branding, I talk about customer service. And yes, you can provide guides and scripts. You can even try to hire people that are emotionally intelligent. And, you know, that's a whole other topic. But at the end of the day, are you providing an environment where you can let them react in the moment mm -hmm. and, and give a customer what they need to solve that particular problem? Or are you going to hamstring them with different policies and procedures and you know i would love to do this for you but i can't because i have to get approval for giving anybody more than a ten dollar credit you know whatever the whatever the situation is it's it's not just hiring the right people it's that's why culture is so important to this right mm -hmm. it's giving them the environment to flex their empathy and and be able to every situation is so different mm -hmm. and every person they'll be dealing with is so different and do you give them the latitude to show empathy in the moment so that they can solve that particular customer's problem for that particular situation mm. and still not, you know, not waste company money or put the company at risk or anything like that. But there's a lot of times we try to hold things too tight and at what cost? At the cost of disappointing our customers, at the cost of losing loyal customers or clients. And so we have to say, well, this, some of this, yes, are people going to take advantage of some of these customer service policies? 
probably a very, 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 very small percentage. Mm -hmm. So is that just a cost of doing business to delight the rest of your clients and customers? I say it is. Companies like Airbnb say it is. Companies like REI and Southwest Airlines. And, um, you know, one of the examples I used in the book from Europe was actually Ryanair, which I'm sure I could get like a lot of views on this. But um, (laughs) in 2015, they did a huge initiative called Always Getting Better, which if you strip it down, was just empathy, was just, let's look at the travel experience from the customer's point of view. Let's take away all these silly things that get in the way of them having a good experience, you know, baggage fees or allocated seating. And their profit shot up 43% the following year. 43%. And the, the CEO was famously quoted in a news article, and I hope he was kidding, as saying, if I had known being nice to customers was so profitable, I would have done it years ago. <laughs> so, but this is the power of it. Like it could, it, maybe it does start from a very selfish place, right? And this is my, my macro mission with the book is I don't really care how we get people to be more empathetic because once they, they adopt empathy and they see the results, it will transform them. Mm-hmm. I don't care how we get them there. If I have to get them there by writing a book that says you can increase sales and profits by by being more empathetic, let them try it and yeah. let them let them go do it. Because sometimes, again, that's empathy, meeting people where they are. And mm-hmm. what's not working in our world right now and in business is just to say, be nicer or mm-hmm. be kinder. You need to give people, sometimes you do need to give people a reason why. Like my six-year-old, sometimes I need to give him a reason why he's got to tidy up his toys because there'll be a treat waiting for him at the end, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, So Maria, do you think that a lot of this is to do with, if if you're in an organization or if a lot of my uh, people in my group, for example, they'll have small businesses. So. Mm -hmm. They may be working in teams, say mm-hmm. very small teams. They'd be mm-hmm. solo owners and they'll obviously have people around them that, that support them. So do you think that this is about people who are in your ecosystem, if you're one of those types of people, which mm-hmm. most of my group are, mm-hmm. um, and actually finding out what really matters to every one of those team members and seeing if you can come over to their side a little bit. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm in the same boat. I'm a solopreneur as well. I work with a lot of subcontract partners um, and um, obviously clients. And it's really just about that flexibility of like taking that step back to listen and just not assuming there was a great piece of research I discovered in my, in my researching. And it's called, you know, everyone always says, do unto others as you would have done unto you. And there's actually the platinum rule, not the golden rule, which is do unto others as they would have done unto them. That's empathy. So if you only, if you only treat others, how you want to be treated, your frame of reference is you. Uh And if you read, there's a great book. um, If you're looking for a book about motivating people, it's Mm -hmm. it's a, it's quite a few years old. It's called drive by Dan Pink. Mm-hmm. And he talks about the surprising truth about what motivates us and that so many companies and businesses go wrong because they think the things that motivate people are like a raise or, you know, 
and that could be, I'm not saying like, don't ever give people raises or good paychecks, but, but other, but you have to find out what motivates someone else. Like maybe it's more vacation days. Maybe it's flexible policies. Um, there's, there's research studies that have been done that says that most people, most employees believe that policies such as remote working, which we've been forced to do, um, here in the U S you know, um, uh, family, family leave, all of those policies are seen as empathetic <laughs> because they're addressing different needs that people have. The, the, the cure-all to get people to work harder is not just to give them more money. <laughs> and so, yeah, so that's the thing is, is when you're working, no matter what number of constituents you're working with or stakeholders, it's understanding what makes them tick, mm -hmm. right? I, I work with some subcontracting partners. They're all wonderful, but they have very different work styles. Mm -hmm. And I've adapted to their work styles so that we can have the best relationship and they can do the best work for my clients. Um, and so if you're too rigid in, in this is the way I'm going to work and everyone's going to work the way I work, you're never, that's, that's the antithesis of empathy. So I think even in your small sphere, it's looking at what that individual might need. And, you know, again, once you take the time and take the presence and the, and you slow down enough to have the discussions, um, you can find out and then you can adapt. Indeed. I'm just remembering a story that one of my mentors told me about an employee in his office and uh, they thought she was really good. And so they, they gave her a raise and she was very grumpy about it. And they thought mm -hmm. oh, she's so ungrateful and, Mm -hmm. And uh, th then they thought, well, you know, maybe we haven't offered her enough money, so we'll we'll offer her another raise. We'll say, look, we've really we thought it through, and um, and you know, here's more money. And then she was still really grumpy. Grumpy, yeah. And then and then she'd walk around the office with a long face. And then and then somebody said, well, you know, what's the matter? And she said, you know, I'm really missing. My, I'd really like to go to the gym on Friday afternoon. So I'm all set up at the, and there's a class on the gym on Friday afternoon and I'm missing it. And once they found that out, it was like, yeah, oh my goodness, you so easy. Afternoon so you can go and do your gym class. And she was like, ah, oh, this is fantastic. And um, it's funny, isn't it? We, we always assume that we know what makes people tick. But if we exactly. know, do we? Well, we don't. And I, sorry, I was, I was listening. I was not doing my, my presence. I'm sorry. Cause I was trying to find for you. There's a particular study I cited in the book about uh, actually several that show that like a majority of employees will work for less pay and sometimes will work longer hours if they're, if they feel their culture and their company is empathetic. Mm -hmm. Now that's not a trend I would like to, you know, why we should have empathetic workplaces. So I always say that with a caveat, but it, it, there's, there's data that shows that the workplace environment is sometimes more important to people than more pay or more this or more that. And, mm -hmm. and that there's, it's that human element of when we are seen, heard, and valued, we do our best work. We're more productive. Engagement goes up, which bottom line results leads to less absenteeism, less sick days, less errors in your work. Mm -hmm. There's all these studies out there that I cited in the book that that show that if you have that that understanding, um, it's it's not just one thing. Like to your story about this woman, it was the Fridays 
making it to her class. Like yeah. such a simple thing, right? Uh, uh, yes, but nobody that, ever asked her what what matters no. to you. What 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 would make this job really great for you? Yeah, oh, I have those flexible hours so I can go and do my class on Friday. And I think that's why people, when they're asked, they see those kinds of policies as empathetic because they feel like, okay, that the company's understanding that I have a life outside of work and that I, I have different needs. And, you know, cause you know, some people have kids, some people don't, some people are married, some aren't, you know, so um, being able to have those kinds of policies that speak to different needs is so important. Um, I, there's another great book that I'd love to recommend. It just came out. It's called the business of friendship. Uh, a friend of mine actually wrote it. Her name is Shasta Nelson. And she writes about the importance of friendship in the workplace and how it actually creates high performance teams when there yeah. is a, a culture of, of friendship. And it's just, all it is, is this idea, which kind of why she quoted me in the book. It's, it's this marriage of empathy <clears throat> And those relationships, because if you take the time to understand, to get to know someone mm -hmm. and to understand their context, number one, you now have a lens to understand where they're coming from when they disagree with you in a meeting or they mm -hmm. put a, an, a crazy idea out there or they, they get offended by something like you have context. If you know that someone's taking care of an aging parent you know why they might be coming in late every morning, right? Yeah. Or you know why they might be like just every time you talk to them, they're, they're a mess, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so the more that we can, you know, within boundaries, obviously, but get to know each other and connect as human beings, that more of that context we can have. And in your example, if her bosses had known her better and know that she loves yoga and she takes this class on Friday and you know, Every it's Friday afternoon is come, comes around and she's sitting there thinking, I'm missing that class. And that was the highlight. Exactly. Of my life. Exactly. And so it's it's for me, the empathy, you can you can build empathy by understanding context. And that means being a little vulnerable and, and getting to know people on on more than just a you're my coworker or you're my employee or you're, you know, like find out a little bit more about people's lives. Um, that's another great technique I learned from a few leaders that I interviewed for the book is that when they start executive meetings or staff meetings, it's not get down to business right away. Mm -hmm. It's everyone goes around and talks about what's going on for them. Maybe like mm -hmm. a highlight and a low light about yeah. what's going on. So now, you know, when, you know, Susan says she's in the middle of potty training her kid right now, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know why she's going to be a little short with everybody. <laughs> yeah, and and yeah. There, there's more forgiveness and there's more of like, we're here for you. We hear you like, oh, I've been through that myself. And it just, it just brings the, you know, the whole thing is bringing the humanity back to our work. Indeed, indeed. So let's get on to uh, talking about sales. So yes, in sales. So, so obviously, I love this topic. I know. So, <laughs> so all entrepreneurs need to sell and we need to make sales. Uh -huh. so, so how can being more empathetic help us make more sales, generate um, more revenue for our businesses? I love this because I've been I've been presenting at a few sales kickoffs, uh, you know, well before the lockdown and then virtually um, <clears throat> to sales teams, and you'd be shocked at how many like sort of backdoor chats I get of like from men in the sales audience going, "I'm so glad we're talking about this, right?" So, um, 
empathy is actually the number one trait of successful salespeople, according to, to several studies. And there was a study done by the University of Southern California in conjunction with Harvard Business Review, I think. Mm -hmm. Don't quote me on that. Where they actually uncovered, you know, you say that and people go, oh, well, you can't just be empathetic. You actually have to be a good salesperson. And they did a study that actually profiled thousands of successful salespeople. And what they found was it wasn't necessarily product knowledge. It wasn't necessarily all the things we think. It was an equal marriage of empathy with ambition and drive. Mm. So you can't, you can't just be empathetic and be a good salesperson because you do have to hustle. You do have to you know, get out there and you have to, you have to have a little bit of drive and ambition. But when it's, they found the winning combination, the winning cocktail was empathy mixed with a high level of drive and ambition. Okay. Which that's like a unicorn, right? Like who is that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but many of the viewers probably see themselves that way and say, yeah, I'm driven, I'm driven, but I'm not a jerk. I'm driven, but I, I want to be compassionate to people. And so that's the good news is they, they tend to sell more. They tend to have more loyal customers. Um, and also if we, if we go back and parse that out, it's because of the listening. It's because of the curiosity and the asking questions. It's because of the, I'm willing to throw away my sales script to talk to you as a person and address your specific needs and how my solution fits your needs. And I'm not going to, mm -hmm. yeah. And I'm not going to just keep going. So back to my PowerPoint, <laughs> you yeah, know, right. be able yeah. that, that ability that keeps coming up more and more. It's really mm -hmm. interesting that ability to be situationally fluent. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, maybe that's the next book is how to, how to figure that part out. Right. But, but if you, if you can, if you can adapt and be curious, ask more questions and not just, so what are your goals? Like, that's a big question to ask somebody, you know? So it's, you know, that's where you see a lot of, of salespeople go wrong with the trying to be empathetic approach. I get those kinds of solicitations all the time. And I'm like, but I don't know you, you haven't earned my trust. Why are you asking me my goals? So this is where, again, like my brand work comes in and that if you build a brand that people can trust and you're mm -hmm. constantly delivering value mm -hmm. and you're not, and, and you're, you're, you're providing that value, you're nurturing, then when someone's ready to have a conversation, they will turn to you. And then, then you can start asking, oh, you know, great. What are your goals? Let's talk about what your specific goals are. These are the kinds of things I help people with. But what about you? Mm -hmm. What do you need? And, and again, tell me more about that. Can you elaborate on that? How does that, how does that impact your bonus? How does that impact your profit margin? Mm -hmm. How does that impact your customer retention? So mm -hmm. all of these things, if you ask more of these questions, you can then provide a consultative approach to mm -hmm. sales. And then it doesn't feel like selling. Then it's a conversation. And the other thing that you do in that scenario is you, you leave the client with a, a sense of, again, feeling seen, heard, and valued. Mm -hmm. And they walk away with a very positive impression. Even if to you it was a sales call mm -hmm. or a sales meeting, they might feel like it was just, wow, I got a little bit of value out of that. You know, maybe I learned something I didn't know before. I, I feel like I was heard. I feel like the person, mm. when they adapted what they were talking to me about, it wasn't about things that were irrelevant. That's the worst kind of sales pitch, right? I get those with when I see demos all the time. And it's like, you're trying to show me every feature and function, but 
I, I haven't had a chance. You didn't ask me what I'm actually trying to accomplish yeah. with your, with your tool. And if you had, you'd only be showing me three. Yeah. And you'd be showing me how to use those three and all the other stuff is great. You can show me that later, but I know that was in your sales script, but that's <laughs> not the conversation I wanted to have right now. Mm. <laughs> um, and I've seen, it's so funny, Jane, because I worked in enterprise, I, I worked in obviously in marketing for software companies, but supporting enterprise sales teams, like yes. hundreds of sales teams with huge quotas, um, you know, an average sales price of like 100 to 500 K for the, for our products and services. And one of the most successful salespeople in one of the companies I worked for, I don't think he'd ever done sales before. I think he came from education or academia. I don't even know. It was just something crazy. And year over year, he was the company's best global salesperson. Mm. So it just goes to show <laughs> that if you can just really relate to people and connect with them and be smart about it. Mm -hmm. And how do, you, how do you take what they're telling you and say, okay, I hear what you're saying, Jane. Here's actually, here's how the product solves that problem. Or here's how the solution will address that. If you can speak to those specific points and drive the conversation and be willing to throw away the script sometimes, it can have tremendous results. Mm, fantastic. And one of, the, one of the things you reminded me of when, when you were talking about that was, I actually did some reading around the topic and some study around the, the topic of charm. Mm. Uh, so interpersonal charm. And what I, what I found when I looked at this is that people considered other people to be charming when they, they just started asking them questions about themselves rather than yes. going into talking about themselves because right. we all have this very deep need, don't we, to be noticed and to be heard and to be seen. And so the minute somebody somebody starts to really express a curiosity in us, then it makes mm -hmm. us feel great, doesn't it? And that's that's using empathy to be charming, isn't it? Absolutely. And I've I've read some research around that, linking that, because oh. you walk away with the impression of like, I really like that person, right? And yeah. I, I've had this experience as I've tried to hone this more and more when we were mm -hmm. going to live networking events. But, you know, I, and I'm not faking it. I actually am really curious. That's the thing is some yeah. people might feel like, well, what if the person's really boring? And I'm, you know, you might have to look at that. But for me, it's like, I do want to know more about the other person because, in, and maybe it's an insecurity. I just think they're probably more fascinating than I am. And so, <laughs> but, um, but it, it's surprising how, I can, I've had conversations with people where they might've learned nothing about me or my business. I asked all these questions about them and let them talk. And it was okay that they didn't ask me anything. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, a few weeks later, I get a call that they, they remembered meeting me and they need branding help. Mm -hmm. And so really? I didn't even, I didn't even talk to them about my business, but they, they vaguely knew that that was what I did. And then I had this interaction with them that made them feel really seen. Um, as my friend Shasta says in her book, friendship is really about being seen in a safe and satisfying way. And it wasn't my intent. You know, I wasn't like, ha, 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 how can I try to get a sale out of this person? Let me pretend I'm really interested in them. But that was what it, that's what it resulted in. That was the outcome. And so I think the more it's, it's, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that's a large part of that mystique that we call charm mm -hmm. is, is that ability to be present. It's that ability to listen. It's that ability to be genuinely interested in what 
someone is saying. And if I may, I want to just add something to that point I was just making about when it feels forced, because this is the other question I get all the time is like, but I'm not a naturally empathetic person, right? Um, and some, I, I would love if some folks in the chat said like, yes, I say that about myself. <laughs> if you've ever said that about yourself, um, because that's actually a cop out. That's an excuse. We as human beings, unless you're a sociopath, are hardwired in our DNA for empathy. And what happens is just like going to the gym, if we haven't practiced it or seen it modeled or were rewarded for it, whether in our family life or our work life, the muscle atrophies. Oh. So you can actually strengthen the muscle again, but it requires you to do some of the habits and practices that we talked about and the others that I have in the book. And people say, but that feels fake. So does doing 15 sit-ups the first time you do it. Your body does not want to do those sit-ups, right? Or lift that heavy weight. No. Every, every good habit is formed by being forced at first. And the inter really interesting thing, i sorry, I get so jazzed on this, so interrupt me if we're running out of time. But oh, there, was a, there was a psychologist I spoke to for the book who works with severely autistic children, often lacking empathy. And what they do with them is they give them a rote list of ways to interact with somebody, just a checklist, right? And what happens is they're spending a lot of time thinking about it. It is very forced. I think, and I think this is where it's in the prefrontal cortex of your brain of like, uh -huh. okay, I have to do this. I have to do that. Like you're telling yourself you have to do it, right? But what happens is when you get a different response from the world, like these kids, you're you naturally, you are like, oh, I'm getting a different response. I, I want to do this again. I like the response I'm getting. And the more you do it, just like working out, it starts to become part of your standard operating procedure. And then it's no longer in your prefrontal cortex. Now it's in some other part of your brain where you don't really think about it anymore. Yeah. I've so, actually, yeah. That, yeah. Amazing. And I've, I've actually got quite a nice little story in that respect. Because oh, good. My uh, nephew actually has uh, Asperger's mm -hmm. and parents worked very, very hard, you know, with him from a very mm -hmm. early age to teach him uh, emotional cues. Mm -hmm. and so they taught him the body language and they taught him how to respond and to look people in the eye and to ask them about themselves rather than just doing the monologue about, you know, the all blacks rugby scores back to 1977 and <laughs> right. obsessions that he that he had right anyway so he grew up and he is now uh, well I haven't seen him recently but he chose to study hospitality which mm -hmm. I think is so amazing that he actually chose uh really to pursue a career which With is people. all about it's yeah. all about taking care of people and making sure that people are okay and Aww. and you know when you when you met him he just had a natural charm because they had worked so hard to really teach him those cues and and actually instill those cues in him so what you're saying there absolutely mm -hmm. um, resonates and if he can do it then anybody can exactly sure. it's it's the muscle and and we can't just like any habit you build whether it's eating healthier or going for a jog every day or trying to meditate for 10 minutes every morning all of it is forced at first until mm -hmm. it becomes part of who you are Yes. And so we shouldn't see the discomfort mm -hmm. as a sign that we're doing the wrong thing, mm. right? We should see it as I'm learning and mm. I'm learning. And 
And that might be you having to write down on a piece of paper before you go to a networking event or before you have a Zoom getting to know you call, what are the three questions I'm going to make sure I ask this person while we're on the call together? Just and put it up in front of your screen, you know, in front of your screen as a reminder to do it. And then pretty soon you won't need that reminder because you're going to, you're going to see the interaction and you can do that with a new client that you're, you're like, Oh my gosh, I really need to make this sale. Right. That, that pressure we put on ourselves as entrepreneurs of like, I really need to get this client. I really need it, whatever. It's like, here's the three questions. Here's the three things where I'm going to ask this person about and make sure I capture the answers mm -hmm. before the end of this call. And, and even if I walk away with, they haven't made a decision yet, they haven't whatever, because that is going to build your brand as being seen as empathetic. Amazing. Amazing. Mm -hmm. I, I just love that, Maria. So I'm just going to look at the comments. I've been checking them as we've been been going through. So there's been a bit of to and fro. Mm -hmm. I know. I love it. Chit chat. Um, so, um, so. Yeah, so lots of conversations been going on. So interesting stuff. Never thought empathy was that important in business. Working from home is a massive plus for me from a loyalty perspective towards my employer. Hey, Jonathan, mm -hmm. think about it. Empathy is simply understanding people and looking at what their needs are. So you've got people that are translating what you're saying. And Yay, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is the same as in life, as in business. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like nurses and midwives, but leads to burnout. However, empathy is the key to, to key to midwifery client satisfaction. Okay, so we we've, we've got somebody with a, a a background there in that in that uh, topic. Andy Phillips, still too so true. Still too much to learn. Still so much to learn and improve. Mate, I've been doing that my whole life. Ha ha. It was <laughs> some interesting chats. That's why I'm on the train, always learning. <laughs> okay um so we've got uh yes just some lots of appreciation and sparked up lots of conversations which is lovely actually we don't always get that we sometimes get questions but we don't get a lot of conversations that, that right. go on at the same time that's wonderful so, yes yeah. okay well i just wanted to say thank you so much for joining oh us. thank you for having me it's been really wonderful and um of course you've got your whole day ahead of you haven't you and <laughs> They're in California. Yes, and you have you. You're getting ready to go to bed. Exactly. Soon. Yes. Good. Yeah. <laughs> along along with my in laws in Scotland. So. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> so I I hope they'll I hope they'll be able to watch this and um and uh, what what are their names? Um. Well, Ross. The Rosses. So oh, the Rosses. The Ross family. Yes. Okay. Yes. Oh, I'm okay. actually I'm actually Italian. My maiden name is Piccinini, but I uh -huh. married a Ross, which right, is right. a lot easier. Right. Yeah. Yes. Ross <laughs> is a good Scottish name. It is. It yes. is. Okay. Well, thank you so much again for joining us, Maria, and um, look forward to seeing your next book as well. Thank you so much, and thank you all for having me and being so open to the conversation because. I love talking about this because the more of us that redefine success, as I said, and we create the models and people start to look up to us mm -hmm. as, ooh, she's really empathetic and she's successful. I want to be like her. The more we can make the world more empathetic when we, when we you know, go off the clock and we're living our lives. Amazing mission. So fantastic. Well, thank you again. And Thanks. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the Smart Connector podcast. 
If you've enjoyed this episode, why not head over to janebaylor.com and order a copy of my free report on building your personal brand. I'd love to connect with you on social media. And finally, don't forget to like and subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss a show. Thanks for listening in and see you soon.